Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And my special guest today is Sister Maristella from the Sisters of Life. Well, Sister, very glad to have you here. Thanks. Good morning. Appreciate it's good you to taking be... the time. Glad to be here. So I thought before we get into the apostolate, may we hear a little bit about your order, how long you've been here, how long you've been in the order, just, you know, whatever you think would be interesting to the people listening. Sure. Yeah. We were founded in 1991 by Cardinal O'Connor. So in the history of the church, we're rather young compared to the Dominicans or the Franciscans who are 800 years old. But age doesn't mean everything. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So we were founded by uh, John Cardinal O'Connor, who is the late Archbishop of New York. And I think his story is absolutely fascinating, really, because I think it captures um, so many elements of our culture, why we were founded. Basically, in his mind, he said, over the course of hundreds of years, Almighty God has inevitably raised up religious communities to meet the special needs of the day. And he said that my reading of the signs of the times impels me to believe that the Holy Spirit brooding over the bent world desires to inspire a religious community whose charism will be uniquely the protection and enhancement of of human life itself. So he had this understanding that the greatest sort of need in our culture in this day was to proclaim the dignity of the human person, to to show that life is sacred, that each individual is sacred. And he had a number of experiences in his own life that led him to this understanding. he was a priest from Philadelphia and was asked to join the Navy. Because, so he was served as a Navy chaplain for 27 years. And then he was named a bishop for the military, an auxiliary bishop of the military. But before he became a bishop, um, he decided to make a retreat. And he could have gone anywhere in the world. Right. And for whatever reason, guided by the Holy Spirit, he decided to make his retreat in Dachau at the concentration camp. And outside of the concentration camp, there's a Carmelite monastery. And so he made... A, his, his eight-day retreat there. And he had this profound experience. It was really a life-changing experience while he was there. Um, as he was wandering through the concentration camp, he had this mo- singular moment where he went over to the crematoria where the bodies were burned, right. the people. And he had, um, really, it was a mystical experience. Uh, he placed his hand in the crematoria in the oven, and he said he felt the intermingled ashes of Jew and Christian and rabbi, priest, and mi- minister. And he was pierced to the heart. Almost gives me a cold chill here and there. Yeah, it's really a a stunning experience what happens to him. And he said he felt these intermingled ashes. It was really um, a powerful experience for him. And he said he thought to himself, good God, how could human beings do this to one another? And in that moment, he made a promise that whatever he did for the rest of his life, he would proclaim the sacredness of human life. Whatever he wrote, whatever he preached, he would proclaim the secretness of human life. And you could say in a way that when he placed his hand in that oven, he put his finger on the deepest wound in our culture, this contempt for human life. Um, um, What he said is to him, it wasn't that... he, he said the men and women who died at Dachau shaped his adult life. All the th- theology, all the philosophy he had studied up into that point didn't come clear to him until that moment. And the interesting thing is he, he didn't know any of them. That's right. Yeah. He didn't know any of yeah. them. And Personally. Yeah. For, yeah. No. And yeah. He, and, but they are the ones who shaped it. So to him, it wasn't that six million Jews were held, <clears throat> killed in the Holocaust. It, right. it was that one person of infinite worth, right. of a dazzling value, was killed six million times. Right. And that God experienced each loss as his own. Right. 
So he had that experience, and then years later, he became the Archbishop of New York. And he, in that those years, in the 1980s and 90s, he really became sort of the leader of the pro-life movement in the United States. And right. there were many people doing a lot of incredible and wonderful things. Um, and he couldn't understand why the pro-life movement wasn't making the progress he, he thought it would, because right. we had great politicians, great people, great lawyers, grassroots level, incredible people doing many, many great things. Um, and so he was praying about this, and he was torn, really, interiorly, about um, what was happening. And he came to understand that this contempt for human life was really a demon in our culture. He was praying with the Gospel of Mark, um, this passage where Jesus sends the apostles out, in Mark, Mark 9, Jesus sends the apostles out, and he t sends them to preach and teach. And they do all these things in his name, and they come back to him, and they say, Lord, we did all these great things in your name, but there's one demon we couldn't cast out. And Jesus responds to him and says, there's some demons that can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Right. And Cardinal O'Connor, those words struck him deeply because he realized that we were, what we were talking about is a spiritual reality, right. and it needs a spiritual response. Yeah. And so um, that gave way to the birth of our community, essentially. So he, um, he wrote an article in Catholic New York, the right. newspaper, um, and it was entitled, Help Wanted, Sisters of Life. And you can imagine <laughs> him sort of, you know, he's the archbishop of a, a huge diocese, like his hand shaking as he's writing this column. He was felt impelled by the Holy Spirit, and he was yeah. obedient to the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if, right. it would, if it would work. But 26 years later, by a miracle, the gift of the Holy Spirit right. has, uh, so there's 110 sisters of us. So how many did they start with, you know? There was eight, eight originally. Eight, eight actually listened to the Help Wanted ad. That's right, yep. Okay, and he great. had a number of retreats. And Can you imagine was, telling your parents, oh, I'm going to a religious order. How'd you decide that? I read a Help Wanted ad. That's right, yeah. yeah. A, a non-existent religious community. <laughs> yeah. It's No, it's a miracle. I mean, the women who entered, they're, they're amazing, incredible women. The foundation of our community was built upon them, and you know, they were just docile and... And then they think sometimes foolish, but yes, no. Yes. <laughs> fools for Christ. It's a beautiful thing. That's right. If yeah. we're going to be foolish, and we should be for yeah. Christ, we'll that's the way it should be. Yeah. So what's your background? What led you to the Sisters of Life? Sure. When I was, um, you know, when I met our community, I was looking at, I was living in Europe at the time because mm -hmm. I was, I had graduated from the Naval Academy and I served in the military for a right. number of years and I was stationed overseas. And I looked, was looking at communities all over Europe. I felt this call to consecration right. deep within me. I knew um, that God was inviting me to this life to live for him alone. Right. Um, and so uh, I looked at communities in Europe and, you know, I had some romantic notions about living in a Tuscan monastery for the rest of my days mm. or <laughs> on the French countryside. Um, Sometimes that sounds really good. Yeah, it was really, <laughs> it was really quite nice. Um, but then everyone kept telling me about this community in the Bronx, New York. And anyways, uh, this is not quite Sylvan. Tuscany. No, not quite. Yeah. Not. I was fooled. But um, <laughs> no, but when I discovered what our community was and what our community did, the charism of life, right. the charism of our community, I really, I couldn't believe that it existed in the church and right. in the world. What I was seeing was so much of what was in my heart, I was seeing lived out. Right. And it, there was this um, deep knowing that this is what God had planned for me. So... Yeah, I um, went on a discernment retreat and prayed, and essentially the Blessed Mother organized all the details of my life. She's pretty I, good about that, she's actually. She's very good about all those yes. details. Yeah, she takes care of all the things <laughs> but we can't handle. All those worries <laughs> and uh, concerns That's tend right. to evaporate. That's right. They really do. Well, her... you were at our Gospel Life Conference not uh -huh. too many months ago, and yep. you told this story about running into a, a little four-year-old. Why don't you Oh, yeah, that's so that? fun. I, I love that story. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, it actually takes place in the Bronx. We're, our, um, we're right next door to a Catholic elementary school, and every so often we're invited by um, 
the students and the teachers to come over for lunch and recess with the kids. Right. So it's always fun. And, you know, with, with kids, you know, they can talk about saints and angels for only so long. Yes. And then the subject has to turn to what we're wearing. Right. And they ask, you know, there's no screen. They just say whatever they're thinking. Yeah. So they'll ask questions like, do you sleep in that? Were you born like that? <laughs> you know, fun stuff like that. So anyways, one of the sisters was dining with a five-year-old girl, and they're uh, going back and forth. And finally, the little girl, you know, they're talking about saints and God and right. beautiful things. And then all of a sudden, the little girl says to her, what's that on your head? Pointing at our veil. Yeah, yeah. The sister, you know, is trying to explain it. Well, the, the habit is a sign of our consecration, the veil, a, a part right. of our witness. The little girl didn't get it. So finally, the sister just simply said, well, I wear a veil because I'm married to Jesus. And this little girl slams her hands down on the table, looks up and says, he chose you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, right? You it know, is. I mean, on, on one hand, I ask myself the same question every day. Yeah. But I think what the, was so charming about it, really, and delightful in this little girl is she touched upon this, this need of the human heart that she wasn't so surprised that God had chosen this particular sister, right. but really that he had chosen any one of us. Yeah. Right, that God chooses us to exist. Um, and it says in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesian that God chose us in his son before the foundation of the world. Well, and I think just, you know, your witness in the world, mm -hmm. you know, who knows what that five-year-old girl will remember five, 10, 15 years, 20 right. years from yeah. now. It doesn't yeah. know. I have a daughter who's a Dominican, and we mm -hmm. went out to visit her. And anytime you go in public, as you know, mm -hmm you become the focus of attention. <laughs> and we went out for pizza. It was out on the West Coast. And this lady comes up to us and says, are you a sister? And she's like, yeah. I, I didn't know you guys still existed. And then she's like, honey, honey, come over here. Look what I found. <laughs> <laughs> this rare treasure. This rare, yeah. this rare treasure. This and you're like, ancient thing, yes. Okay, but I mean, that witness is huge. Uh -huh. And people see it, and it just brings out different aspects of them, questions, right. and it's great. So, you know, you're in Colorado. Yep. Um, I'm sure you have had a lot of experiences, but what is your apostolate here in Colorado? What are you guys doing, and how long have you been here? Sure, yeah, we were, um, we've been here for two and a half years, and really, mm -hmm. it was, we were inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring this message of the dignity of the human person to university campuses, and um, that's our work. And back in New York, when we were originally, our our foundation, a lot of our work is serving women who are pregnant um, and women who have suffered after the sorrow of abortion. Um, and we've always wanted to serve college women better, knowing right. that women at that age, so many of them um, are faced with choices that, and so much of what is presented to them by the culture is so beneath their dignity. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to stand there and be there with them. It was one of the a story I think captures it is recently, recently one of our sisters was on a road trip with her parents and they stopped off at a restaurant and they pulled into this restaurant and were seated at the table with mm -hmm. this, you know, very nice middle-aged waitress. And right. um, she had never clearly, like you're, you're sharing the story of your daughter, she clearly never <laughs> seen a nun before outside of the sound of music or yes. sister act. And, so and you guys looked, weren't singing at the no, time. No, not, not yeah. at that moment. So she looked at the sister and she said, wow, I like your dress. And sister's like, well, thanks, you know, 13th century fashion. <laughs> um, and she was just kind of taken by her. And she said, now, what is it that you do? And our sister said, well, I'm a sister of life. And we work with women who are pregnant and tempted to abortion. And then all of a sudden, the, the woman, her eyes just filled with tears. And her, she put her head down. And she said, where were you when I needed you? And our sister was just so 
you know, pierced by that. Yeah, that this sorrow. was a middle-aged woman you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, okay. and she said it was like reflecting back on an experience that had happened before, you know. Right. Where were you when mm -hmm. I needed you? And I just, you know, that question kind of resonates in my heart often. Yeah. Like how many young women are are looking for someone, anyone who can help them, who can offer them another choice. Young women who are so filled with fear, right. pressures of um, fear of being alone, fear yeah. that the people she cares about won't be there for her, fear that she won't finish her education. And so we kind of want to stand in response to that. Where were you when I we'll be right there. <laughs> we'll be in front of you. We'll offer you another choice. We're here to show you that you have great dignity, right. that we believe that you can do it, and that there's many choices available for you. So how do you walk with somebody? So say a college girl came up to uh -huh. you with that same thing but was in a situation where she hadn't made a decision yet. Mm -hmm. How would mm -hmm. how would your sisters or how would you guys walk with them? Yeah, so much of what we see is uh, when we meet with women, a lot of it is just, first of all, just being with them and being present to them. Right. Our world moves so fast, Absolutely. as you know, and it's just kind of slowing down and allowing them to slow down. And so often, uh, a lot of times in our work with pregnant women, we'll ask them the question, um, what would you do if everything was different? Like, if mm. you had the great job, if you had right. the housing that you needed, if you we were able to finish your education. you had the magic wand and you could, yeah. What would you do? Right. Always, always they say, I would choose life. I would choose life. Right. And then so our work that's just, is simple after that. We right. just say. Because they've already admit, they've already said it. They know yeah. it. That's, that's the deep feminine intuition. Yeah. The desire of the feminine heart to choose life, that maternal instincts. And so it's a lot of our work is just kind of helping peel away some of the pressures that they're under and that, that they're experiencing to help them get to that place, that right. deep center, that desire of their hearts. And um, once they can do that, the, the, well, then they're, they're, they're choosing in freedom. Right. And they're and they're making a choice that they're they can live with it. Do they feel empowered of. when you give them? Oh, that, absolutely, that, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, there's so many stories of it. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, just, I mean, it's probably it's, every time you go to a campus. Yeah, a yeah, amazing. It's amazing um, to see. Yeah, to see the resurrections that are happening in their hearts and in their lives right. when someone uh, you know perceive, look a little bit deeper and see the good that's within them, and right. to see what's beneath the surface. So for those listening, what campuses are, are where you guys minister? Sure, we're at um, Colorado State up in uh -huh. Fort Collins, uh, University of Colorado in Boulder, uh, University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, okay. University of Denver, and also the Colorado School of Mines. Are there other sisters going to college campuses in the United States, or was this the first foray into going to college campuses? What? No, I think there are sisters um, in many different campuses. Um, for, for the Sisters of Life. Oh, of our community, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Of the Sisters of Life, no. No, this was really our... Our first oh, so you're kind of cutting your teeth in yeah, Colorado. Yeah, that's right. Worst well, places to cut your teeth. I know. It's been a nice, very soft landing. It's been very good, actually. No, and for really for, for years we've spoken on college campuses and invited to speak there and meet with students, and but we wanted to really discern and see how we could just serve college women better. We know yeah. that um, so many women. Before I moved out here, I served in our Hope and Healing Mission, which is our work of retreats and accompaniment for right. women who are suffering after the experience of an abortion. Right. Um, and so many of them, they experienced an abortion in college or the, the beginning of it was in college. And so we just wanted to be present to them um, to understand how we could serve them better, know them better, and um, just provide other options for them, other yeah, choices. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's beautiful. And I was mentioning to you before we got started, I was teaching an adult catechism class. Yeah. And uh, a woman came up and said, well, why does the church teach that abortion is wrong uh, when there's been a rape. Mm -hmm. 
and first of all, we emphasize, I mean, that's a terrible tragedy yes, for absolutely. somebody to yeah. be violated like that. Uh-huh. So, you know, we talked about why, you know, just because something bad happened, we wouldn't kill an innocent individual right. because of that and uh-huh. went into it. And uh, there was a, a middle-aged gentleman uh, at the class, and he's just listening, looking, and he's, when we get done, he says, I just want to say something. He says, mm. I'm a product of rape. Wow. And I'm glad I'm here. And, you know, you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so there are, you know, there's really no reason uh-huh. not to have a child. That's right, yeah. And there's how many people like him walking around this That's world right. that yep. wouldn't be here mm-hmm. if people had made wrong, you know, that terrible choice because they'd be haunted by it yep. forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you work with any other apostolates? I know I see you at our building periodically, mm-hmm. so my guess is you work with our Sacred Heart Counseling Yep. We, um, when people need more. That's right, yeah. Yeah, no, we really do. We... Um, we it's great. Denver is great for collaborating with all the different organizations. Yeah. Marisol Health and um, um, a lot of our students are able to be served by Sacred Heart Counseling. Um, Focus Focus has been a great collaborator and friends of ours. The, right. the different chaplains on the campuses are really good friends of ours. So right. yeah, it's just really great when you see there's a certain synergy that's happening here in yeah. Denver. All the different apostolates working so well together. And Dow, uh, we like to is a beautiful group. They help women to see the dignity, their dignity and vocation, uh, right. the dignity and vocation of women. Yeah, yeah, John um, Paul II's teaching. Right, right? the yeah. great feminine genius. Yeah. So whenever we can collaborate with them and bring those their studies onto the campuses, it's wonderful. And yeah, so it's it's great to be here. Well, and it's great having you because mm-hmm. I know you do more than college campuses. Mm-hmm. You were at our Celebrate Life March That's about right. a week and yeah. a half ago. That was a great event. Um, uh-huh. To see you there, and then mm-hmm. you guys spoke, uh-huh. uh, and Dow led the march. Yep, that was So beautiful. it really is, we're all working together, uh-huh. you know, to really promote this dignity and quality of human life. Yeah. And that it's important at all stages. That's right. Just not the unborn, but our senior citizens or those struggling with terrible diseases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not for us to decide who lives and who dies. That's right. right? Yeah. The Lord has given us that gift. And I think, uh, you know, you were talking about Cardinal O'Connor in the mm-hmm. beginning. He got it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is what the 50 year anniversary of Humani Vitae this year. That's right. Yeah. Which my guess would have probably influenced Cardinal O'Connor. I mean, you know, a lot of Certainly. people unfortunately rebelled against that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But those that didn't, you know, the fruit is, you know, yeah, new fruit. religious orders and, right. and a new focus on the importance of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody was interested in looking into the Sisters of Life, they're mm-hmm. listening and, mm-hmm. you know, they they just feel unsettled. They're not mm-hmm. happy with where they're going. They, they really haven't... Um, discerned, mm-hmm. and, and the Lord's kind of leading them away from a relationship, yep. or how would they look into the Sisters of Life? What would one do? Sure. I mean, um, every vocation begins in prayer, right? and it's the initiation of God the Father, right. the Father's choice, the Father's love, the Father's um, plan for a person's life. So yeah. everything begins in prayer. Um, but so much, I mean, we have to make a move at a certain point, right? So I always encourage young women, right. it's just good to ask the question, very gently ask the question, ask the Holy Spirit to guide them, ask Our Lady for their assistance. But um, we have retreats mm-hmm. many times a year if young women just want to come and see what our lives are like, right. come and see if um, if there's a certain attraction there, right. if there's an openness, if maybe God is leading them. And so they could go on our website and see when those where those retreats are and 
maybe just learn a little bit more about religious life. Right. I always encourage women just to very gently ask the question because our Lord, he always works in freedom. Right. He never pressures us or puts deadlines on us, and yes. he knows our hearts, the sensitivity of he's them. He's very and, patient. And he's very, very patient, thank <laughs> good God. Good thing for us. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing for all of us. He's very patient, yeah. So, And the other thing to know is if you do discern and go in as a postulate, uh-huh. the door doesn't lock behind you. That's right, right? Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a discernment process, not exactly. only with the young woman, but uh-huh. also with the community, so uh-huh. it's not all on your shoulders, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Is that comforting to know that you're not the only one discerning? I think there's a people who find a freedom in that. Yeah. That, like, that I won't accidentally end up in this life, like, make a mistake. I can't make a mistake <laughs> and just, you know, 20 years later, five years later, oh, my gosh, it's yeah. it's over. No, it's um, um, God is very gentle in guiding us. Yeah. And so it's, it's a process of discernment, even once you enter the convent and scene. Is this right. person happy? Is she fulfilled? Right. Is she, um, is the grace present there? Is yeah. she joyful fundamentally? Right. You know, a, a clear sign of the Holy Spirit is if there's joy. Right. And, and so. you're not wasting your time. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> if you discern out after a couple of yeah. years, uh-huh. how much would you have grown in your faith, right? It's Absolutely. not a wasted two years. It's no. probably a very enriching That's right. time. Yeah. So, yeah, no, God can't be outdone in generosity. So a good him, thing, right? Right, that's right. He's way more generous <laughs> beyond us, yeah. Way more than we deserve. That's right, yeah. So is there anything else that we should know about the Sisters of Life in Colorado? Um, is there anything you guys need? I mean, I know donations are never uh, turned down, but, I mean, is there things you need here? Well, for, first of all, we, we always are grateful for prayer. Yes. <laughs> prayer, we need prayer. Um, and just... And if you have kids on college campuses, have yeah. them come find us. We'd love to meet them. We'd love to know them. We'd love to journey with them at some point. And then, um, you know, as, as sisters, we we live, uh, we have vows of poverty, and so we live completely off of donations. Um, right. And so God is very generous and sends people to us who can support us. But, you know, one thing I, I thought it might be helpful for people mm-hmm. to know, because so many in our culture have been wounded um, mm-hmm. just by... Um, in many different ways. And I wanted to just share a story sure. of our hope and healing mission, sure. which I mentioned earlier was our work of retreats and accompaniment uh-huh. for those suffering after the experience of an abortion. Um, and this story to me just speaks to the reality of God's work in our lives. Um, during our hope and healing retreats for women, um, each woman takes a rock that represents the burdens that she's been carrying. And then she takes a permanent black marker and writes those burdens on the rock. So whatever those burdens are that she's carrying, fear or shame or um, the thought that I always ruin every, everything right. or I'm too much or I'm not enough. Right. And then there's this ritual sort of on the retreat that at some point, I mean, usually it takes place after confession, she has this experience of freedom where Jesus comes and lifts those inner burdens from her. And it's amazing to see that it always happens because whenever we ask Jesus to come into our hearts, he right. always comes. Um, and so after this experience of confession, most often the woman will take the rock that she's been carrying and place it um, near the altar to mm. put it down, representing the leaving behind these burdens. And then after our retreat, the sister will take the stack of rocks that have been left behind and throw them into some body of water. So after one of our retreats, the sister organizing the ritual kept putting it off and until finally one rainy Monday morning, she said, today's the day. So she went down to the local park and began right. throwing these large rocks into the water. And as she, she and another sister were doing so, there were two women walking around the pond watching what we were doing. So they came over, very curious right. about this scenario, and asked what we were doing. And we explained what the rocks represented. And then both women began to cry. Hmm. And 
they explained to us that they were blood sisters, and the older sister was a Protestant minister, and she told us that her younger sister was pregnant and then asked if we would pray with her. So prayers were prayed, and then we departed. Sure, Never saw the women again. But then two years later, our sisters were asked by an older Episcopalian priest to speak at his congregation during the 40 Days for Life. And then we began a relationship with this Episcopalian priest. And then every time he spoke to us, he was very drawn to us. He always wanted to see us and meet with us. But every time he spoke to us, he would go on and on about his grandson named Peter. Peter this, Peter that. Peter's the apple of everyone's eye. And we just thought, happy granddad. And then on another visit with him, he told us how one of his daughters had followed him into the service of God as a minister. And then... At some point, we began to connect the dots. Yeah. We realized that this man had... the stars aligning on this one. Yeah, that this man had two daughters, and one had become pregnant in non-ideal circumstances, and the other, the minister, found out that her sister had scheduled an abortion and begged her on a rainy Monday morning to take a walk with her at the local local park before her appointment. That was the same park, the same morning we were there. Right. And though we had no idea at the time, those rocks of death and grief and sorrow given to Jesus were transformed into such instruments of grace and hope that this woman chose life right. and named her son Peter, which means rock. Rock, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is what Jesus wants to do with all the burdens in our lives, yeah. right? He, this is what he wants to do with all the darkness and shadows in our families and our culture. Um, and I think this hits the heart of all of our experience of life. We've all encountered brokenness. Right. We've all encountered woundedness. Um, but there's this law of Christianity, this law of our faith, that Christ makes all things new. Yeah. And he doesn't just do it theoretically. No, he doesn't. He takes actually... You, you've, you've seen practical experience. <laughs> broken, wounded yeah. people and the light that he breathes into it and the right. new life that he sends them into the places of brokenness and darkness are beyond what we can imagine. He always creates something new and more beautiful. Well, so. I, don't, I think we need to end on that. That's just too good to even try to go on from. And again, this is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver, and you've been listening to Respect Life Radio. But I just want to thank Sister Maristella from mm-hmm. the Sisters of Life for coming and spending time. I know you're getting ready to go to San Francisco for the Walk for Life. Yep. Uh, you guys are busy, mm-hmm. and I just really feel uh, blessed to have you guys in Colorado. So thank you very much. Thanks. And if you're interested in learning more about the Sisters of Life, please go to their website at sistersoflife.org. It not only tells you about what they're doing here in Denver, but also throughout the rest of the country. It's an exciting order, and I would encourage everyone to go on to the website to see all the great things that they're doing. Uh, let's close with uh, Hail Mary, because we need her guidance. Yes, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, so the Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.